Hello and welcome to episode three, season four of the Dayton Podcast. Ravi, how are you doing? I always have to double check whether we've got the correct season episodes, <laughs> etc. Because I'm never quite sure exactly what we're up to. And I think we're, like both of us have to check. Uh, right, before we get into it. right. All right. I use the website just so everyone knows. I have to actually check because I've been getting it wrong pretty much every episode since the start of this podcast. So yeah. Maybe we can get an episode of just your intros. Just, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's um, more work. <laughs> yeah, true. true. I'll give it to yeah. you. You can edit it. <laughs> Touche. Well, g- given given how badly I've been at my one job in this podcast, which is scheduling, um, <laughs> I wouldn't it w- wouldn't put too much stock, stock into that for now. Right. Um, but yeah, how you been? What's what's new? What's new? Um, not much, not much. So it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty, pretty strange couple of weeks. Um, oh man, I think we we launched our last episode just a couple of weeks ago, so we're actually building up uh, a regime here. I quite like it. Um, Consistency. And I had quite a few discussions about NFTs. Snowflakes, mm-hmm. obviously, something that you know I'm exploring a lot. And deaggregated didn't come up too much after the episode. So yeah, I think Snowflake and NFTs were the sort of the big, big topics from the last episode that I've been talking to with a lot of people. Yeah, and and the UK is opening up now. So as right. of today, yeah, pubs uh, are open. You can have a drink outside. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I saw some vi- weird viral pictures of people in dressing gowns having a beer. Um, right. I think there was one pub in London that was open at midnight. Right, right. Um, right. For people to get the first one in. Um, but yeah, th- things are slowly getting back to normal. I- I'm actually going to the office in wow, two weeks. Risky. Yeah, risky business. Going up to Manchester for three <laughs> days in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, I think things are slowly. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly. Um, Good work. But yeah. Today, so, what's on the agenda? Yeah. So uh, speaking of consistency, I think uh, we were talking just before we started. Um, the last time we were consistent was just before I left to the information lab, um, <laughs> and then before that, the last time we were consistent before that was uh, before I went to Seattle and we did that recording with Ken Martin. Yeah. Yeah. After which he then left Tableau. Um, so today we've, we've got our second guest on, um, Anna Casey from, from Tableau User Research. And are you pl- thinking of leaving Tableau, Anna? Oh my goodness. What a question. Absolutely Straight not. In. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so Tim, it looks like you're leaving the Mansion Lab in a couple, oh, of weeks, no. couple of weeks, couple of months' time. Christ. I better, I'll, I'll get my P45 ready. <laughs> Exactly. Ready for your review. So, um, Anna, so the Information Lab has a policy of like yearly reviews. The only time you get review is when you leave. Um, oh, oh interesting. Yeah, basically. Um, there's no targets. I love there's it. no I love it. reviews. Uh, yeah, the only time you, you ever get one is if you leave. So, just, just like no, no time to actually course correct all the things that could have been fixed before we just want to, we want to debrief, basically. Is that, right. is that what it is? Basically, a debrief, okay. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. 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 Did Gwilym get one? I, I think me and Gwilym had to request one. Okay, cool. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get myself ready for one then. <laughs> uh, Gwilym, Gwilym was a past uh, actual um, guest on the show. Um, quite yeah. a f- I think in season three, very beginning of season three, I believe. Yeah. I'm now scrolling back. Yes, it was season three. Look at this. I'm actually on it with seasons and episodes. Um, yeah, uh, Gwilym talked about data ethics a while back. Um, but mm-hmm. today we're joined by Anna and um, 
with analog, what we try and do is we just try and talk to people about, um, you know, how they've arrived at their roles, um, it, you know, in the roles they play at various companies that they come from, and also just how that journey really looks. Because, of course, I think from the outside world, especially as users of a product, we always have this sort of vision that um, everyone who works at a certain company has come through a certain path or, you know, eats, sleeps and drinks a certain vibe. And so yep. we just like talking to, um, you know, devs, user researchers, whoever from Tableau to just try and understand how they've arrived um, at, at where they are. So I guess, Anna, probably over to you to do an intro. Or Ravi, you're about to say something. I can see you. Anna. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say that we're not exclusively Tableau, right? Like any right, other right, this right. podcast. <laughs> you're setting me straight. Any other software vendor. <laughs> <laughs> Even though everyone's been from Tableau so far, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. so far. you got to start somewhere. you got to start right. somewhere. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Anna, over to you. I'll let you do an intro of yourself. Yeah, well, it's it's really great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, this is my first time being interviewed. I'm used to being on the other really? side of this. So this is... Uh, ah, amazing. This is, yeah, this is a new experience for me. Um, so yeah, I've been at Tableau for three and a half years as a user researcher. Okay. Um, came in... Uh, if, if what you're looking for is a non-traditional path into user research, then I think <laughs> you're talking to the right person. Um, Excellent. I don't... I didn't don't have a, a, a software, you know, engineering degree. I didn't come in through CS. Um, I I started in marketing actually with my undergrad, nice. um, and was at the University of Texas, um, and and graduated right when the economy started to tank in uh, two thousand and eight, which was great, really great right. time to be entering the job market. Um, <laughs> Ravi doesn't yeah, know so, what it was like. No, he doesn't. Yeah, no. yeah. If you want to feel uh, old, I was in high school then. But anyway, let's move on. If you, you want to feel old, high school. I was in high school. Uh, that's better than it could have been, actually. Like yeah. if you had said, you know, if yeah. you had told me it was elementary school, I would just hang up right now and leave. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wimpered past Ravi there. <laughs> right. That's why. That's why he has to keep the beard. Is is what right. he told me. Right. Yeah. Literally. Lend some Literally. legitimacy. Yeah. yeah. Some. some I send you a photo of uh, Ravi in day one of the date school. Honestly, yeah. looks like we hired a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, I, I was watching. I'm a big basketball fan. Was watching the uh, March Madness, you know, tournaments. Right. So men's and right. women's tournaments and. Some of them, you know, they say they're 18, they look 12. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not 18. There's no way. And that's how I know I'm I'm, I'm getting up there in age. Yeah. Yeah. So, so University of Texas. Um, University of Texas, yeah. To, like the worst job market. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I had kind of done a concentration in, it was called Customer Insights, I think. Um, but basically more the research side of marketing is what I was interested in. I had taken kind of the, a broad range of courses. I didn't know what I wanted to do going into undergrad. The, the US system doesn't necessarily set you up for the job market in terms of kind of helping you to map the courses you're taking to actual careers. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but but this is a challenge that we That's have. That's about right. Okay, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I liked, I've always just had a really broad range of interests. Wasn't particularly like, like better, significantly better at anything, one thing over the other. And so, you know, I liked English, I liked math, I liked history, I liked science. I don't like right. taking tests, but just a curious kind of kid growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and so coming into university, it just felt like really awful that you have to specialize in something, right? You have to you have to choose a thing, which means you're like 
neglecting all these other possible paths. Um, Anyway, but I landed in marketing in part because of the the range that that field offers you, right? Like every mm-hmm. every company, every industry um, has to think about this. And um, so, yeah, so I ended up in, in marketing, liked the research side and took a course called within my concentration called Consumer Insights, I think. Right. And it walked through the human centered design process like that. That was the course was to basically right. say, like, OK, here's your customer segment do some research on them, come up with some product ideas, test those ideas, and then, you know, give us a prototype at the end of the course. Except that when I kind of, when I really enjoyed that, really liked that and said, okay, how could I do this for my work? No one had an answer for me because UX was still not really um, a a known industry and job. There were folks working in HCI for sure. You know, now I've, now I find this out, right? Now you tell me, um, but, but most of the people that I had asked, you know, how do I get into that? How do I get into that kind of product development? They'd say, mm. well, don't you want, you could do engineering, right? You could be a mechanical engineer, a chemical engineer, a software engineer. And it was like, I don't know that that's what I actually want to do. What I want to do is right. to be part of that, that process right. of, of doing the investigation of what do we build and how do we build it? Um, not just like being the builder. Yeah, interesting. I think that's something that you're quite into, right, right Tim? Like, I think we've talked about, was it the, the design of everyday things before? Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's a book that yeah, you yeah, recommended. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Just, yeah, that's uh, a great book. Small details. Um, I mean, you, so much of it you just take for granted. Um, it's one of those things, well, I think I can't remember who said this, but there's an expert for everything. And I never really sort of appreciated there's an, ex- there's an expert for every sort of small part of design, whether it's like a rounded corner, a circle, you know, a squircle, whatever you want to call them. Like there's someone who's an expert at literally everything. Uh, and yeah, so th- that's, that's where that sort of book took me down. But anyway, uh, back back to Yana. Yeah, so, um, and that is a great book uh, that I didn't discover until graduate school. Um, but but that was, that was really what I wanted to be a part of was that process right. um, of... And it, it was just so logical, right? If you're going to build things for people, you should probably include them in that process. <laughs> uh, seems like a, yeah, yeah, just revolutionary idea. But it, but in some ways it, it is, um, you know, right. so, and, and people are still trying to figure out, companies are still trying to figure out how to do that really, really well. Um, so I entered this not great job market and kind of, and didn't have a lot of direction in terms of how to get into that. So I, I, I bopped around, uh, did a few jobs and landed in a role as a project and event manager for about just over five years. Nice. Um, and so I was actually doing more kind of designing of, you know, physical experiences and processes right. um, at a, a, a property management company and, and managing and overseeing a conference center uh, that nice. could could um, house like 6,000, I think was the capacity for that. Um, but but again, sort of taking what I had learned in school, I, I, I used that process in my process as a project manager mm-hmm. and, and as an event manager. And so I had to do things like redesign all of our signage on the property. And so I'd talk to the delivery drivers and all of the, um, the tenants that we had and, you know, to try to understand like, okay, what's not getting where it needs to go. Yeah. Um, 
and then thinking through the flow for all of the event attendees, right? What if they come in this entrance or this entrance? How do we get them to that, that conference center? Because it was a big property. It was about 40 acres um, with eight buildings. And so you can get lost. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, so I did that for, for that amount of time. And I eventually got to this place where the work that I was doing was no longer really that challenging. I had, I had built out my process. It was, it was a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, the events, it was very easy to say, okay, like someone comes to me, they want to do an event. We do boom, 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 you know, go through right. this, this checklist and this process. Um, and so I, I wasn't being quite challenged the way that I needed to be and wanted to be in my work. And so I started kind of looking around like, okay, what is it that I actually want to do? And can I get mm-hmm. back to some of the things that really um, I was passionate about in school? And right. I think that those years were invaluable because you do learn a lot about the ways that you work and the kind of work flows that you like and the kind of work you know that you don't like. Yeah. Um, so that was really helpful and informative. Um, but then I, I had taken a trip up to Seattle. It just so happened. And I had a friend who had gone back to grad school. He's a couple of years older than me, um, had quit his job and, and wanted to switch careers. And I was surprised by that because, um, he was pretty successful in what he was doing before. And so he started talking to me about this program at the U- university of Washington, UW. Mm-hmm. Um, and so humans, it was human centered. No. There's two programs, human-centered design and engineering and human-computer interaction and design. (laughs) And they're both, (laughs) um, yes, it's very confusing. So HCDE and HCID. Um, (laughs) Yes, yes. That's one Uh, of them. It's, it's, yeah, I I wish that they were a little more easily differentiated. And at the same time, the programs are very, um, they're similar. They have a different approach. HCID is more studio focused and the cohort is smaller and it's a one-year program and HCDE is more kind of that your traditional academic kind of program um, yeah. and takes two years. Uh, anyway, so he kind of talked to me about this pro- this program he was in and the field of user experience and, and everything kind of you know clicked. It was like, that's what I wanted to do. That's the thing. Um, and then the, then the moment of like, well, now how do I convince them to let me in, right? Because I've been out of school for a while. Um, I don't have a research background or a design background or an engineering background that really gets you into those programs a little more easily. Um, So, you know, so I started to investigate, okay, like what is it going to take to get into a program like this? And what are the other programs in the country that I might have, you know, more opportunity to get into? Um, so, yeah, so there are a few other programs in the U.S. Um, and probably more than even I'm aware of now that have kind of sprung up. But the right. ones that I was pointed to were uh, CMU, Carnegie Mellon University, which has probably mm-hmm. got them the like kind of most developed and longest history um, yeah. in this area. Uh, I think Allison Wilden uh, did that program um, in undergrad. And I, I tease her because I'm so jealous that she found it earlier than I did. <laughs> um, and then Georgia Tech has a program and uh, Stanford kind of has a program through their design school. You have to have a different, like you have to have a core major in like engineering right. or design, right. and then you can take courses towards, um, you know, more UX focused uh, right. kinds of kinds of things. 
But so that one didn't feel like somewhere I was going to land well, because I didn't have that engineering undergrad that I was going to need to get into one of those engineering programs. Um, Georgia Tech, Atlanta is a great city, but I wasn't, I was living on the West Coast already. I didn't quite want to go all the way over <laughs> to the East Coast. Um, and I was also thinking about job market afterward. Um, I had been burned already by a job market issue. <laughs> um, and so Seattle just is a great, I mean, just aesthetically a great place to live. It's beautiful, the water, the mountains, um, but also yeah. with with the tech presence here yeah. um, and and kind of the maturity of the UX practice. Um, it, it felt like a really good place to land. So I put all my eggs in the UW basket, basically, and applied nice. here um, and then crossed my fingers really hard <laughs> without getting in, so... How, how was that experience of getting in? Did you find it, uh, obviously you go through the process when, when they told you, hey, you know, would you like to start? How, how was that sort of experience? I, I, was, I was kind of not, like I was in disbelief, honestly, um, when, I, when I got the email that said I got in because, you know, you do all this work and you just, you don't know, you don't know. So I had, I had to take the GRE, which is a graduate requisite exam, maybe is what it stands for. Um, yeah. But it's just the the standardized test that you have to take to get into some programs, more more of the general programs um, mm-hmm. for graduate school. Like we we have some that are focused on like business or or law, but this one is just kind of a little bit more general. Um, so I had to study for that, and I bought a book, and I was going through all the questions, and and I was like, I used to know this stuff, you know. That was the most frustrating <laughs> thing, um, kind of getting back into that ac- academic mindset. Um, but I took the exam and my score was, was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. Um, and then I had to write a, um, like a personal statement, you know, to do some writing to get in. Uh-huh. And I, I think I, I think I knocked it out of the park with it. I mean, I think that's the thing that got me in honestly was yeah. that personal statement. Um, but you just don't know, you know, you don't know until they get back to you. And I was just kind of trying to set those low expectations. I always joke just my one of my personal um philosophies is like high standards low expectations right (laughs) (laughs) um you'll 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 never be disappointed uh so so yeah i was i was pretty numb i was actually having lunch with a friend and and looked at it and and kind of set it down and just was wide-eyed and she's like what's going on and i was like i i got in you know i can't i can't believe it um so yeah it was a i mean it was a great feeling it was it was really awesome especially when you know, you hit a lot of bumps in the road right. along the way. Um, and you, you keep trying to just put your head down and work, right. Overcome the mm-hmm. obstacles. Um, but to have something go my way was, was, yeah, a really great feeling. Um, and oh, then well, I had to do grad school. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what was your biggest bump? What was your biggest hurdle that you had to sort of, uh, get over or get past? I think, I think there was a lot of um, just personally, maybe like the, the self-belief that I could do the thing, you know, um, you're switching, you're switching careers. I think a lot is kind of emphasized on getting on the right path at the right time right away. And, and if you don't, then you've wasted time and people won't give you a chance and those kind of things. So you've got all of that kind of swirling in your head. Yeah. Um, I felt like I was maybe too old to try to go to grad school and, and change paths. And, and it's funny to me now because I, I met so many people and 
in graduate school who were even older than me who had made these these career changes and and now you know working at tableau i've met many people who have switched careers also right and and landed here too and so you realize it is more common um, than you think and the pads aren't always that straightforward and actually that's a really great thing um, Mm -hmm. on teams right is to have people with such diverse backgrounds and experiences coming from different industries um, and different roles uh, because they bring all that rich experience with them to the job and so much of, of what you do when you work collaboratively on teams is is the soft skills part is learning how to work with other people how to bring out the best in them to bring out the best in you um i think and you one particular path doesn't always doesn't get you there it's actually kind of exposing yourself to a lot of variation and right and differences um along the way that that makes you better so yeah i think there's a there's a great concept called the squiggly career that, that covers mm. this. Um, I got that book recently and it's, it's mm. quite interesting because you almost get, it, it's this concept that while you're, while you're told from like 18 to 25, that everything is a linear path. Yeah. And then you sort of the, the stabilizers come off and like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, right. It's absolutely not. And I think you no, know, e- even through that story, you're talking about all the different programs that you're studying the same thing, but they're, they're taking a different lens to it. And a different, they're showing a different light on it. Almost shows you that. Well, actually, yeah, th- th- this is this is you know tripe to an extent because we're getting to a point where it's um, you know you you require that diversity in order to make sure you don't miss something, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's a common um, it's a common theme, especially as there are lots of roles in the world today that didn't exist five six years ago. So naturally. Um, the only way to form any sort of concept of what skills those roles require is to mix and match lots of different sort mm-hmm. of backgrounds. And that naturally requires people to have lots of different paths to the same thing, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I was I was actually just this weekend asked a question by, um, she's 18 years old, trying to decide where to go to school and what path to take asking me questions about, you know, do I, do I follow my passion? Like, how, is that, should I work in something that I'm passionate about or what should I do? And, and someone else had kind of addressed the, the part about things that you're passionate about and, and definitely doing that. And, and that that's really what makes your career fulfilling. And I felt like I was a bit of a, I was trying not to be a, a curmudgeon there, but I was more <laughs> trying to just focus on like, you know, you have to go with the flow too, right? And and your circumstances change. And, and what we know is that people really do change careers, you know, yeah. quite frequently over their lifetime. And it's sometimes out of necessity, right? We, we work mm-hmm. for big companies, we get laid off, right? We work in a certain role or an industry and, and it, it just goes into decline. Um, and, and so then as a humans, we have to adapt and we have to find yeah. new ways to brand ourselves and, and package our skills and learn new things. Um, and actually, that's what makes life interesting. Those times are really hard. Those transition mm-hmm. times are difficult, right? And, and you do go through that imposter syndrome or you know low confidence in yourself sometimes and you need kind of your community uh, to help, help kind of build you up and tell you you can do right. it and support you through that. But... Um, but, but you do, we, ha- we have to adapt and we make these changes. And just to your point, Tim, right? Like there are careers that don't exist now that will in five years, right? Yeah. Or the role of the analyst, right? 
may change a lot in the next five years and likely will. And what will that look like? You know, Q and so, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking right at him on my screen, right? Um, he's like and warming so this up, is something, he's rubbing his hands. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that he and I have talked about a lot. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, this is, this is kind of how a viewpoint that has just helped me so much um, because I was that 25 year old who thought the path had mm. to be linear and then really struggled with like, is it, can I do this? You know, where if I jump, you know, will I fly or fall? Um, yeah. 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 So, 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 you, so you got to UMass, uh, UW, sorry, UMass, mm -hmm. very different place. Um, <laughs> Massachusetts is beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's the one that, I, I don't know if you guys have played um, anything on Sporkle where you have to name all 50 states. Anyway, it's 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 a very British thing to be able to name all 50 states. I could not do that for all the counties in England. I, I don't I don't know how far I I'd can't get do that, that for anyway. states. No chance. Yeah, well, it, it's a fun one because you have like five minutes. And you, anyway, Massachusetts is always the the speller spelling error. Anyway, oh, so tough, yeah. <laughs> going back to um, what I was saying, uh, you, you finish at you finish grad school. Uh, mm -hmm. You're in Seattle, which is like, as you say, um, a great place filled filled with million billion dollar tech companies. Yeah. Um, how do you end up at Tableau from there? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did the and why Tableau? Oh gosh, now now it feels like I'm being interviewed by Tableau, right? Um, <laughs> the the HCDE program is the one that I did. So I did the two year program that is mm -hmm. a little bit more academically focused. Um, you know, I I feel like. Um, does tend to uh, lean towards the research side a little bit more than the design side. Um, but uh, the first year that I of the program, I did a partner project. Um, so I think it was in my usability studies course uh, with HTC um, and specifically with the, the VR unit there so um i think it's the vive is what it's called mm -hmm. tim's eyes just went like mm, yeah, like, Hello, yeah. Anna. where's this bit? yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it, well exactly right this is this is what you learn when you ask people lots of oh, questions about amazing. themselves yeah. um so doing user research on vr is really hard and fun and hilarious i mean hilarious right to see people like trying to figure it out um it was it was really fun and really enjoyable and a great like you know in, in class project i guess but but we we had to you know help them do research on i think it was a a menu navigation like for the new vive store um and the 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 kind of partner there at htc she had gone through the hcde program and so she was our that's sponsor right. that's that's what we call them sponsors um, and I just kind of established a relationship with her. She really kind of took a, a mentorship, you know, role with, with me. And I've always been bad at being the person to like reach out and be like, Hey, you know, like, how do you ask for a mentor? Honestly, you know, that's, that's kind of one of those <laughs> things that I've, I've always wondered, you like, just walk up to someone and be like, Hey, will you mentor me? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. It feels a little bit awkward, but, right. um, but Angela was awesome and and just kind of took me under her wing and and decided she was going to help me find an internship and uh tried to get me an internship at htc and it, it didn't uh pan out wanted to hire me full-time after my first year and <laughs> that that was really intimidating um 
but but that also you know didn't didn't pan out because I didn't have the experience that the rest of the team was looking for. Um, but she made the connection with Tableau um, for me, and so I had been applying and applying, uh, but she knew one of the UX design managers. Um, and then he connected me to Amy Alberts, who's the, the director of user research. Um, so I, I got an interview with Amy and, um, yeah, that, anyway, that's was, how I, was you that's how I got stage there. One year doing like the, the baseball thing, maybe I don't, I that, that might've been, that might've been a different Amy. I don't right. know if that was the, yeah, Amy, my manager, um, does the eye tracking stuff. Oh, a lot of the eye tracking research with Andy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really cool stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so they the user research team was looking for an intern uh, to, to work with them on Tableau Labs. And so that's how I really got in, is having that event experience <laughs> and having the, the research focus and, and interest and then also having um, just a, a passion for data, you know, and having come from the marketing research side of, of really being interested in data and having done right. some data mining there. And so, you know, I was, I was kind of, it's funny when you look back and you go like, Oh, it totally makes sense that I would land yeah. at Tableau. Um, yeah. But it, it didn't at the time when I was applying, it was just like, ah, just get an internship, you know? Right. Um, so, so that's, so, so that's how I landed. Yeah. Yeah, with your marketing hat on, how would you explain Tableau Labs to someone who's never been to a Tableau conference or attended a Tableau event? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's now, <laughs> I guess now it's called Showcase. Um, I, I prefer Labs personally. I prefer Labs. Uh, I prefer labs. But, but it does get confusing with Doctor, right? Like we yeah. always have, you always have to navigate these different naming uh, overlaps. Um, but essentially, Tableau Labs is an opportunity to interact with um kind of the, the features that are just on the cusp of coming out. Um, and so on the outside of, of labs or showcase, we, we kind of we kind of design it as a, a bit of a target. So your outer ring is usually the stuff that's just been released in either beta or um, in the most recent you know release. So if we were to have one right now, you know that that outer ring would be um, you know, the, the 21.1 stuff that just came right. out, right? And you'd get to right. get hands-on with it. You'd get to be able to ask some devs, you know, questions about it. Will it work for, for this use case or that use case, right? Um, and then kind of as you move in, there's some, uh, there's some studies, actually, that we put together that are maybe more focused on these alpha and beta releases. And mm-hmm. so just trying to get feedback on refining those things before they go out the door in the next big release. And then in the inner circle is usually where I am, which is behind closed doors, which is a lot of the stuff that's still very much in concept. Um, right. So we're, we're usually running interviews there, um, some concept, you know, walkthroughs um, and studies with you uh, or, or even maybe some, some lightweight usability on those concepts that we'll, we'll do. Um, but that's where we, that's where the user research team really focuses our time and effort is is in those kind of inner two rings. Um, so that's yeah, that's labs. I've always I've always wondered with labs or showcase whatever it is today is there's there's always this big excitement from attendees when conferences in person to book into those, and 
they they always sell out like literally they sell out you don't have to sell them they just the, the sessions you turn up on like day zero and gold. they're gone <laughs> yeah gold. so the way the way ravi and i and the passive worked is we just we just get to know devs and we just park ourselves outside of the showcase area and yeah. when there's a cancellation or something we just rock in and we, we just take whatever's going at, the, at that moment in time. Yeah, or like steal, steal a dev on a break. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I've always wondered, like, from the perspective of, you know, Tableau, like, is this your sort of yearly opportunity to talk to customers in that sort of capacity? And likewise, do you sort of find this friction where you know, people like myself and Ravi who are passionate about seeing what's new kind of rub up against this sort of challenge you've got of trying to gauge people's sort of perception of what they think about the, the true user about. versus the power user right right, right mm-hmm. exactly yeah 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 you've got this opportunity with 10 to fifteen thousand people uh and you really almost want to say Ravin, tim you guys talked to us all yeah just go away like, yeah stop. exactly <laughs> <laughs> and like but we're the ones who bug out the sessions like as soon as they're yeah, out, exactly. you know what's going uh, on right? like, <laughs> we've taken it wall to wall but in, in reality you actually want to listen to joe blogs Right and Jane Doe, mm-hmm. right. who are the everyday user, and to try and gauge what what is the average user doing today with Tableau, and what are their right. bugbears? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think one assumption that I'm hearing you make is that attendees of the Tableau conference are your everyday user, and I would say that it's weighted heavily towards the power user, um, right? right? Yeah. So interesting. So the or or the brand new. Right. Like right, your company right. is just rolling out with Tableau and I'm wants to send people for training and to understand. And so you kind of have this like, <laughs> right, like this like bimodal distribution of like, like, I want the people in the middle and it, they don't necessarily exist there. Um, right. They're they're usually the really enthusiastic customers, which is awesome. But it does become challenging for right the kind of you have to know that about your sample and we have to do a decent amount of exactly. of explaining that to the feature teams to say like yeah. these are people who are really really hyped up about the product and that's really awesome and that's really inspiring to us in development to remember that we we have people who love the product mm-hmm. but also you know um it's it's challenging from my perspective because i always want you to tell me what's wrong with the thing like that's right. what i'm trying to get at i'm exactly. i'm trying to get you to be critical usually to say like tell me what's not working about this for you rather yeah. than you know you just telling me how great tableau is um mm. because yes it's great but but my job is to make it better right and and my job is to understand uh the needs that you have Right. What's working for you, and then, but also, what's not working for you? What's causing you friction in your workflow? Mm-hmm. What are your pain points? You know, um, what's what's blocking you from getting to those more advanced um, scenarios that that are really where we're going, um, but right. we can't get there yet. So that that is a challenge at labs, and I think, um, and that's the challenge of kind of figuring out what to take to labs too, because mm-hmm. we have a lot internally. We have a lot of interest of, of feature teams wanting to go and wanting to run studies. Um, and so a lot of it is kind of making a call on what's appropriate to go there. Um, will mm-hmm. you find the users there that you're actually needing to talk to? Um, but I think, too, like when I joined Tableau, the, the user research team has grown just like a lot. Um uh, not enough. We we need more, um, but <laughs> but a lot. And so when I started, there were three of us full time, 
um, on the team. And, and we had uh, one researcher who was kind of both on the academic side with Tableau research and doing the user research for a, a specific feature, right. which, which is data. Um, and then now I think we have 15 on the team. Five zero. No, 15, 15. 15. Um, wow, so so over my, yeah, over my three and a half years, we've, we've expanded the team quite a bit. And so, yeah. um, but when I first started labs was for some teams, you know, uh, the best opportunity to get mm. that user research support, mm. um, because we do have to be really choosy about who we, who we work with. And we have to do a decent amount of just consulting with teams, especially at that time. Now we're, we're able to be much more embedded and focused on teams. Um, and so it's not, it's not the only opportunity anymore, right. um, to get feedback at all. Um, and, you know, Tableau is very, very engaged with the customer base. So the PMs are talking to the customers a lot too, um, Great. which can sometimes make it hard to help people understand sort of what, what's the value of user research, what's our role, what's our approach, and how is that different um, from just generally having conversations with customers. Yeah, I just want to dig into that a little bit because I, mm -hmm. I, I make this assumption um, about a certain kind of person in most organization. I call the salesman, right? And I, 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 always, I always feel like this friction between sales and features, right? Because on one hand, you've got a salesman who's good at selling something, but they need certain talking points, certain features, sometimes certain features, certain ways of pitching stuff. And I always wonder, does do you ever feel that friction a little bit from, um, not necessarily for the sales team within Tableau, but generally speaking, because you're in the competitive market, do you ever feel that sort of friction to do a little bit of feature parity, um, you know, in, in what you do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, having come from at least a, a marketing you know, perspective right. and, and, and right. philosophy, I understand. I understand the need to sell the product. It makes a lot of sense, right? There, right. You, you do have to get people to buy the thing. Um, and that, that requires you to, to push things, right? And, mm -hmm. and to promote things. Um, but I think that the, the conversations that you're then having and those interactions that you're having with customers, you do need to be very self-aware and, right. and be able to say like, this is a selling conversation and interaction with a customer. And this is a discovery, right? In, okay. in, interrogative um, research kind of conversation where we really right. want to understand our users, not push our feature. And I think mm -hmm. the, the, the role that probably feels the tension the most is the PMs, right? right? They are brought into those selling conversations. And at the same time, they are having to inform and make decisions about product design. And so I see mm -hmm. them being torn the most. Mm -hmm. um, my role, I get to say like, and I, and I do say it, even though I do care about us selling the product, but I can say like, I don't care. I don't care about the selling, you know, scenario. Right. My only job <laughs> is to care about um, how well what we're doing meets our users needs. Um, right. And that is that is freeing in a lot of ways. Um, but as we all know, you know, for your work to be relevant, um, for you to really be able to influence product, you do need to have a deep understanding of, of the other market forces, of what Gartner is saying, right? Of what, um, of what leadership is worried about, concerned about, cares about in terms of, of the competitive 
side of things. And so, and so some of that comes into how you frame your findings and how you communicate, because you, you do have to speak the language of your audience. Right. And, and so when I'm talking to the product team, I will highlight certain things, you know, about mm -hmm. pain points and prioritizations and risk and, and workflows and user flows. And when I'm but when I'm talking to leadership, I need to help them map, you know, what we've right. seen to what their priorities are, what they, you know, what they're worried about, what they're seeing, um, <laughs> you know, you know, down, coming, coming down the pipeline. And, and that, that pipeline is something I want to check into as well, because what's always interesting, I think you, you touched on it there and, and, and earlier, Garden is an interesting concept, right? Because as, as we talked about in a, in a previous pod, um, me, me and Tim have sort of like, we, we, we understand the people that are like, yeah, Gartner doesn't really count because they don't really take into account all of this X, Y, and Z. But it's like, well, vendors care about Gartner, customers care about Gartner. So therefore, yeah, it's kind of relevant. Even if you power user X, Y, and Z doesn't see the value of the direct comparison. So I guess my question is, you know, you talk about the, you know, not caring about the sales cycle so much, but you know, having it in the back of your mind. So what is a typical pipe? For a release that you're working on or something that you're interested in is it is it sort of you're thinking two years in advance three years five years mm. a bit longer because as, as we talked about before like the world of analysis is changing and so is you know tr trying to keep up with technology technological change as well yeah that's a good question i think some of this may be personality too um but i'm always i'm always thinking very far out and a bit like what it, you know because when i look back and i think about how dramatically things have shifted right mm -hmm. then it's it's natural to then say like that that's going to happen in the future like things are going to accelerate and they're going to change um so i i oftentimes think about like what are those constants that are likely to to remain true and relevant um and 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 basically be requirements right for the product to meet someone's needs, but what are those things that are also going to be changing? And so, uh, when I think about Gartner, hmm, I I think about it very much like I think about sometimes feature requests. Um, they're signals. <laughs> they're signals to me, right? Like, and I and I'm, I don't mean to say that I ignore feature requests, but it's a signal of of what, right? Mm -hmm. Of okay, Gartner is saying something about advanced analytics, augmented analytics, business science, right? That's a signal to me, but that doesn't tell me how we need to get there, right? right. Um, how it needs to work, you know? Um, all of that is stuff that we have to figure out and we have to dig into. And um, specifically related to kind of augmented features, AI, ML, you know, whatever, uh, that that has now become a, a overused, I think, uh, descriptor. But for those things, it's clear that people want their workflows to be quicker, right? <laughs> they want it yeah. faster. They want help from systems, right? They want automation. But the requirements needed for that automation to be successful and to be useful to them, still something that hasn't been fully fleshed out in a lot of use cases. Um, and I don't think that that's something that Gartner is going to be able to tell us necessarily. Uh, and, and I don't think it's something that our customers are going to be able to say, Anna, I need you to build it like this. It's something that we right. have to, to do a, a better job of, a good job of. Um, 
seeing through, right? Seeing past, understanding the context um, and not just building what we're asked to build. Um, and that's challenging because if, if the sales side is sort of required to put out a feature to satisfy Gartner, um, to say we check the box that we built this thing, right? Then, yeah. then there's that pressure. But on the product side, I mean, the thing that I am probably obsessed the most about is like, yeah, how do I, how do we actually do that successfully? Like, I want yeah. to build a successful, useful, augmented feature. Like, that's what yeah. I care about. And and yeah. so getting into those things is is how I spend my time. And it's also almost like getting that to land immediately. Right, like it's yeah. not just building a future, future filled feature, but making it land immediately. Yeah, yeah, and and when you're talking about <laughs> advanced statistics and it landing immediately, um, you know that's a that's a high bar um, because right, all of the things that that need to be in place for someone to understand, um, yeah. there's a literacy component there, and and we can kind of say well you know, this is only going to be for people who have the literacy. Uh, but can we say that, right? And and what can we do to help people build that literacy? Because I see that as as something that is part of our, our role. If we, if we say we help people see and understand data, then there is a learning and teaching component there as well. Right. Um, but 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 in in some ways too, I think you have to be a bit a bit predictive, right? And say like they may not organizations may not have it now. They may not have the literacy now to ask for these things or to understand these flows. But in five years, will they? Because of all the efforts that they're putting forth towards that. Hmm. I think that, you know being being it's it's the concept of being at the bus stops when the bus eventually arrives, you're ready to go. I think um, when you, when you're talking, the thing I had in my mind about the, the biggest changes we've had in you know, the last decade, last five years almost, is you know, five, five years ago, I, I can honestly say I didn't really spend that much time browsing the internet on my phone. Whereas mm -hmm. now, even with the laptop in front of me, I'll reach to my phone to Google something, right? Like, yep. and, and adopters in the early 2010s who were designing mobile websites almost seemed weird. Like, why are you focusing on that? Because most of your users aren't there. It's like, not yet. But when they get right. there, I want to be the person that's ready, not trying to find a mobile web developer. Right. Um, right. And, and the second thing I wanted to pick up on there was you talk about Gartner as a signal, whereas me and Tim set the Tableau conference keynotes, almost not listening to what's being said, but trying to find signals yeah. within mm -hmm. that. So it's quite yeah. like we're almost one step removed from you guys listening for signals, and then we're listening for signals from what you've come from. Yeah. And one of the subtle changes I noticed, uh, I think it must have been three years ago, was the emphasis and the slight like glow of we, we help people see and understand data came, like moved from see and understand data to people. Mm -hmm. And that was almost not non-insignificant -in mm -hmm. changes. Like, well, actually, we're, not, we're now focusing on the people. And we're not telling you that, but if you're watching and you can see that, you, and then if you bear that in mind over the last three years of augmented analytics, right. you know, the, yeah. the, the direction of travel we're going with with analysis, it's again spotting those things that they're not explicitly saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, could, I, mean, I mean, we did this for for the most recent keynote, right, Tim? Like mm -hmm. having a having a chat where we're not watching it, but we're talking about live what stream. We're, yeah, yeah. We're not we, we, <laughs> ad libbing again. Um, it's it's fascinating because you know people like Gravi and I 
then try and listen for your responses to those echo calls. Mm-hmm. It's, a bit, it's a bit like you're in the forest shouting and you hear something <laughs> and then someone shouts back. And Ravi and yep. I sat in between, like trying to like, <laughs> trying to get things. Um, one one thought I had in my mind actually is, it's, it strikes me that, you know, well, two, two things. Process seems like a really important part of your role in terms of, mm-hmm. I, I guess, being a steward of an idea to this creation, right? And mm-hmm. um, the first question I was going to ask, I'll, I'll tell you both questions and you can answer them whichever order. The first question I was going to ask is, how often does that get in the way? Or does it, um, if that makes sense, right? Uh, how often can, is it possible that you can see something really clearly that you know how to execute, you, that actually the process starts to become what slows it down, right? And then mm. the second question is actually more about sort of your customers in, in the sense that like, I mean, I'm a consultant, so I'm sort of sitting here looking, uh, listening to you talk about how you get from this idea to creation. And I think, man, we dashboard builders have so long, so far to go. Like, <laughs> we start at the end of the process with dashboards, and then we try and figure ourselves back to the beginning. So we'll build something, it'll get trashed, and then we'll go, wait, maybe we should have talked to people before we built this. And then it goes all the way back. So <laughs> you're laughing because you know it's true. So I was, I was, yeah. I was, second question was going to be, are there sort of some small tips from your experience building mm. a product that you can give on to people who build dashboards? Say, hey, think about the way you do this this way. So I know two big questions there, but um, yeah, they're kind of kind of related. Yeah. So I have a question back at you when you, when you're talking about process. Um, yes. What What do you mean by the the process? Like the whole like software development lifecycle. Right. Like exactly. Kind of exactly. Working much, with engineering and PM and, right, and, and exactly, design. Exactly. Okay. How much does that get in the way of expediating some things that you realize should just be done? And there's already mm-hmm. a clear way of doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, all, you know, all the time. It, it's, it's, it's all the time and it, it comes in different directions. I think, you know, we've been talking sort of about more the, the, the sales and the broader ecosystem and the pressures and the market, right? And and those get in the way, you know, you can have an idea of, okay, we want to make the the following fixes to an experience, but that's no longer the strategic focus right. for the, you know, for this coming year. And so that gets put on the back burner. So that happens. Um, you come to find out midway through or late in the process that you have some, some assumption you made early on on the engineering side or some, you know, costing that you made early on was wrong and now it's going to take longer to fix this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes a challenge and you have to redesign some way that it, it was meant to work before. So that comes up. Um, I think, I think the other thing that, that happens is, and, and this is probably now starting to bleed into what you're talking about, but people will go into building something with a list of assumptions that they don't have written down, but are definitely in their head, right? Like I'm assuming they want X, Y, Z, and they need it to work this way because that's how this other thing (laughs) that I did worked. Um, And you do well to test those things very early and to have early conversations with the people who are going to use it, not just about how the layout should look and what kind of chart should be there. Right. But, but even like walk into the conversation and say, okay, I'm assuming that this and this and this about you, right. right? As a, as an analyst or an author, right. If I were to talk Mm -hmm. to one of you, I'd say, well, I'm assuming you're embedded with a team and you have someone doing all of your data prep for you. And 
you have a really proficient end user base who will pick up how to use this dashboard quickly. Am I right or wrong, Tim? You know, and, yeah, yeah. and you'd be like, no, 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 right? And, <laughs> right. and shoot those things down. And now we're having to have a, we have to have that reset conversation, that broader conversation for me to understand the the, the inputs for you and the outputs um, as well, in addition to your process and what that process right. looks like. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so simple when you put it like that. And it's, I think as a consultant, we're often two, two to three steps removed from that. And rarely do you get a chance as a consultant um, in, in some settings to actually be part of that process. Normally, you come mm -hmm. in after the company thinks they've already done that, and they tell you sort of what their version of that is. And it was actually the manager of the team doing that on themselves, right? And the manager yeah. makes assumptions, and then you know things things go awry. People ask, why is it not being used as well? Because people who are using it didn't help build it. So you know, it's yeah. a really important part of the process. And pivoting from consultant to customer, I, I think the, say, interesting yeah. <laughs> part, the interesting part has been inheriting other people's stuff and mm -hmm. then almost like taking that to a point of what was the reason this wasn't done? Oh, time. Okay, well, I've got time. Yep. And then you realize, no, no, I haven't got time. Uh, yep. And then you, you come up with this concept that everyone, everyone who tries to do something is usually ideas and questions rich, but time poor. Right. And, yes. you know, because they don't have the technical skills to get from A to B, where what would be is their vision. Um, they end up in like this weird halfway house, yeah. which is neither here nor there. And then that, that sort of dashboard or tool goes to die in the, the graveyard of projects <laughs> that were started and never really quite finished. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm enjoying this conversation for two reasons. Uh, A, because we're, we're sort of talking about the development of analysis. And three, we're really dancing around the topic of, you know, dashboardless. Um, oh, and gosh. this. Oh, God. <laughs> Exactly. And he's already an hour in, Ravi. Come on, we don't have three hours here. <laughs> <laughs> but but ex exactly that. Like, it's such a broad topic about, you know, mm -hmm. we're trying to understand users. And I think I've reached out to you, Anna, before, like yeah. in a session of how do I actually engage with the user? Mm -hmm. um, how do I actually speak to a user about, I want to now interview my, my end users about my dashboards mm -hmm. and be like, talk me through how I use this, like talk out loud, click on these things and um, yeah. dig into those con concepts. Yeah. One, one thought that I had there too was just thinking about user research and how, again, like a, as the builder of the thing, right, you're, a, you're an analyst, uh, an author, you're, you're a PM, you're building, you know, kind of shepherding the execution of this thing through. Um, you, are, you are time poor, right? Like you have the things that you really have to dedicate your time to. Having a user researcher or, or having a user research lens to think about um, the end-to-end -end really, to help you set that context, to, to elevate your your thinking outside of just this one problem that you're trying to solve. I have to build this one dashboard, right? Mm -hmm. To like, I think what you and I talked about, Robbie, was like, what does their day-to-day -day look like? Like, what does their workflow look like, right? Um, what are the other things that they're doing before they come to this dashboard, after they come to this dashboard? What are the decisions that they're making? Mm -hmm. And so when I came to Tableau, there weren't that many user researchers. That was challenging for me as a brand new, you know, brand new to the role. Uh, but what it allowed me to be involved in was features all across, all across the product, right? Mm -hmm. And to start to establish my own understanding and perspective of that high level, like what do authors do, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. what can we say and understand about them? And what questions do we need to be asking that are going to start to 
uh, branch their experience, right? So that some of the things I mentioned, right? Like how clean is the data that they're working with? You know, do they have the support of, of a data engineer or a data prepper or a curator, right? Or, or are they having to do all that work themselves? Mm. Um, and then on their end user side, how much education and promotion, right, of, of data in their organization do they have to do? Um, is that a big piece of, of their work? Or, or do they just build dashboards, right? And, right? and most of the time, the answer to that is no. <laughs> There's some other things going on. There's something else that's relevant to their role that's going to color and contextualize the work that you're focused on and learning about. And so um, I think user research can be really, really helpful there and can also help you to start to find those signals of where is, where is the market going? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, where do people want to be? And, and then bring that back to the teams to start to think creatively about how we help people get there and what are the requirements to get there. Right. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like, I uh, just listened to you talk. I mean, you think about this in a much more. Um, I think your practice, or I should say, your practice thinks about this in a much more structured way. That I think fundamentally allows you to do one thing, which is often quite hard in terms of analytical dashboards and just analytical work, which is the lineage of a concept. Because you, mm-hmm. as a user researcher, start that journey and you take care at each step. The lineage of thought is actually almost very transparent in the product itself, right? The product will have Mm -hmm. assumptions in there, it will have a certain design, it will have a certain purpose. We're trying to meet certain names and you can quite confidently say at the end of it, uh, when it doesn't do something, yeah, we weren't intending to do that. You know, that wasn't our goal, right? And I think often too much in analytics, the opposite is true. We're trying to do everything. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, the lineage of something involves too many or too few people, but never sort of the right people, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that monumentally increases the margin of error, right? right like yeah. the, the more the more you either take on or the more you distribute, and and, and the, 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 it's the hardest thing is finding that sweet spot, right? And like exactly, that, like and does it even exist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, one of the things you've made me think about that I think about a lot in my role that applies then to data just more broadly is is bias, right? Is cognitive right. bias and how that impacts this whole process, all of you know, and just humans, right? Understanding mm-hmm. humans and cognitive biases, but um, our role is to really address those things in our process, right? And we we apply some scientific rigor to how we go about this process of discovery and understanding and learning to try to control for bias in the sample, right? Who we talk to, bias in the way that we ask questions, are they leading, right? Um, We're concerned about that. I want bias in uh, acknowledging the fact that because I'm the one who built the thing, you're going to be afraid of hurting my feelings. And so I need to establish a kind of a safe space there for you to tell me whether this thing is okay. I don't know how many times I've gone through a session where the person spent 35 minutes, 40 minutes, not understanding a damn thing that I put in (laughs) front of them. And at the end, telling me how great the work that I'm doing, you know, this this thing is so great and it's gonna help people and Tableau is awesome. And I'm like, you didn't understand any of it, you know, (laughs) so clearly. We've got a lot of work to do, right? But people, there's that, that's that's part of understanding human behavior and interaction right. and bias. And then on the end, right? Um, well, actually, even before that, are we asking the questions to get at the things 
that we don't know and those gaps, right, um, mm -hmm. that, that are going to help us test our assumptions. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, how are we doing that analysis on the data? And it's not that there isn't bias at the end of it, right? It's just being able to give that context that tells you exactly how it's been biased and say, we talked to these people and we asked yeah. these questions and we were yeah. focused on these things and here's what it tells you and here's what it doesn't. And that's so very similar to what you have to do in setting context around dashboards and the analysis right. that you've done, right? And right. whether you are communicating that in a report right? If it's a, a, a journalistic article, if it is, right, if it's a dashboard that's interactive, it's a, if it's a data set that's mm -hmm. been curated and you're handing over to someone and they're um, setting that context, letting people know what, how that, how it's been processed and how that might, you know, impact the takeaways that you can make from this analysis, from this data um, is, is super important. Um but yeah, we, we think about that a lot. Amazing. I, 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 yeah, I think I have to sort of walk away from this chat and uh, reevaluate sort of how I've approached because um, sometimes it's very easy to just just do what clients ask you to do. Uh, and actually, mm -hmm. often, often as a consultant, you really have to do is sometimes challenge what they're saying um, in a sort of coaching method, right? Like you're not you're not there to tell them what to do, but you're there to ask the right questions that makes them consider whether what they're doing is the right thing to do or not. At least that's what I think coaches do anyway. Um, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, amazing. We, we've been going for an hour, so I think I, I think I have to I have to check, do a time check and uh, uh, sort of try and bring this to a close because we appreciate. It. If we had all day, we we could honestly go all day. We could do a whole season. That's just probably true. <laughs> That's what basically happened. So, um, uh, thank you, thank you so much. Just so much from there. Like, I learned a lot about you. I, I've I've talked very briefly to you on Slack, and uh, I feel like there's so much more now that I'm going to be chasing you for after this course. Eh? It's um, probably going to start with HTC, HTC, HTC VR, tell me VR vibe. Tell me everything, uh, Anna. Anna, oh, fun yeah. context. I left the current company I'm at to go to Accenture because of VR. <laughs> and oh, then it did work out yeah. and then I came back. So I have lots of thoughts uh, that I can oh, yeah. definitely share with you on that one. Um, but I also think uh, everyone who's been listening, whether they're user researcher, want to get into UX or even building dashboards, um, anyone who's passionate about Tableau will have learned so much from the discussion we've had today with you. Because um, again, we just think it's really fascinating how people who build products sort of think about the products they build because that mm -hmm. lets gives us a window into how we should be using the tools. And just, just by talking to you, I think it's a lot we can learn about doing, uh, I guess, building products, uh, whether they're dashboards or analytical products in a, in mm -hmm. a, in a better way. Um, Ravi, any, any closing comments from you? No, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. Um, I, I always enjoy our chats, Anna. I think the the, the sort of, it came, it came off the back of maybe an Ask Data Explained Data session that we had um, yeah. maybe a year or so ago um, yep. that we just ended up uh, with kindred spirits um, yep. yeah. and a lot of, a lot of conversations <laughs> around um, yeah, the future of analysis, dashboarding, and, and sports, which is always a nice and thing. And sports. Yeah, that's, that's the thing we didn't talk about at all that we could spend yeah, oh, a really long gosh, time. Yeah. And this whole time you had the NVA scorers thing in the background. I kept meaning to it, yeah. actually talk I, about that. I take that full credit for that. I take full credit <laughs> for Anna's impulse purchase of that particular thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I love sports analytics. I just finished attending uh, the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference Thursday and Friday of last week. Wowzers. Um yeah, if if 
if you ever want to do a podcast nerding out on that, then I'm happy yes, to come back. I mean, go. I'm happy to come back anytime, but yeah, that, that would be go. a fun one. Mm -hmm. Boom. We'll, we'll hold you yep. to that. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. All right. All right. Uh, time, well, thank you both for having me. No, absolutely. Absolutely. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, for everyone listening, if you want to uh, listen to the podcast online, you can head to datingpodcast.com. We're available on all the major podcast apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, Overcast Podcasts, TuneIn, all that stuff. Uh, and also reach out to us on Twitter. Ravi, I've forgotten our Twitter handle, as is always. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it's Datum Pod or Datum Podcast. What is it? It's, it's, it's Death ah. Taxes and Tim not realizing what the website is. Versus the it's Datum Twitter and um, datumpodcast.com for, for the website. Oh, Twitter is Dayton Pod, and this is just a hassle. I have to find whoever has Dayton Podcasts on uh, Twitter and get it off them. Uh, or was it you who preferred it to be called Pod? I think it's you. I take I no credit. You. I think it's your love for the word <laughs> Pod. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you very much, Anna. Um, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Awesome. Take it easy. Thanks.